Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Well, today we're going to talk about the dream of a true entrepreneur. What if you could go in front of an investor and instead of investing in you, have them buy your company outright? Never happens, especially not for millions. <laughs> or does it? <laughs> well, if you're going to do it, do it big. Our guests this evening are Zach and Alyssa Brown with Moki Doorstep, and we'll let them tell you the rest of the story. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, guys. So tell us about your experience and how you went from a product and a project to being bought out by one of the sharks. So just like any other idea, it starts with a idea, then a piece of paper, and then eventually designing it, three-dimensional prototypes and that kind of stuff. So that was a definitely a long road and a lot of learning experience, to say the least. But that's, I think, is the easy part. You can have the best idea in the world, but it comes with execution. You have to execute the proper way, and that's what it took a lot of time and a lot of work for that. Um, so from there, did a lot of research once we had the prototypes, and, you know, how do we want to launch it? Just throw it on social media, do a Kickstarter. There's a lot of decisions to be made. Uh, so we decided to do a Kickstarter campaign, research about what time to launch it, time of day, day of the week, all that kind of stuff, because there's all analytics. Of, it's crazy, all the data behind that. So we did that, and from there... From the Kickstarter, we um, were reached out to by some producers from Shark Tank, and we were able to go through a very lengthy application process. Um, just for our season alone, on season 10, there was 40,000 businesses that applied to Shark Tank. So it's a long process with lots of videotaping yourself, pitching, lots of um, business analysis. So we were able to be one of the lucky businesses to get picked to come out and pitch our business to the sharks. That is so exciting. So tell us about what your product is, the Mookie Step. So it's called the Moki Door Step. Moki Door Step. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And it is a product that helps vertically challenge people like me, actually. Um, so you're short. So people who can't see you on the radio <laughs> appreciate Five that. foot nothing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Woman after my own heart. <laughs> yes. Five foot nothing, but I enjoy kayaking. I enjoy snowboarding. Um, it's something that Zach and I have always enjoyed doing together is a lot of outdoor activities. And I would struggle loading those things on top of my car. So Zach, being a fireman, used his knowledge of how vehicles are built and the strongest points of the vehicle and designed a step that actually latches onto the inside portion of your car door. Um, and it gives you a stable platform to stand on to reach your vehicle so you can load your gear on top um, without having to bring out like a ladder or step stool or step on your seats and ruin your seats in your car in the interim. Yeah, and if you haven't seen it, it is hard to describe, but you need to go look at a video. It's mokidoorstep.com. And you, then you'll understand and go, oh my gosh, why didn't I think of that? You know, it's like <laughs> we've been told that by hundreds of people when everybody has that aha moment when they see it and they're like, wow, why didn't anybody think of that yet? Well, that means it's a great idea. And, you know, do you tell them, well, we thought of it, you know? And <laughs> yep. Very proud of Zach for thinking of something like that. So when I spoke to you guys on the phone, I don't know what, a couple months ago, maybe, um, Zach, you said you guys love doing your jobs. You're a fireman, and Alyssa... I'm a nurse. And you're a nurse. And you love what you do, and you don't want to give that up to be entrepreneurs, but this was just the one thing that hit. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we both love our jobs a lot, and obviously going on to the show, you know, you don't think you'll ever be bought out because that wasn't an idea we had. It was to go on the show to also get a investor, but also a good partnership with one of the sharks. And so when the offer to be bought out, when Damon mentioned that... I, I kind of I mentioned it, and then he said, "Oh, well, how much?" And I told him, and he says, "I'll do it." For me, that was a no-brainer because that's one of those things where 
A, that kind of money can definitely change your life. But more importantly, we can both focus on our jobs that we like a lot. You know, I really um, enjoy being a fireman. Uh, Alyssa loves being an emergency room nurse. She's actually in school right now to get her nurse practitioner. Wow, emergency room nurse. You guys don't like people, do you? (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to help the world be a better place. Now, that's amazing, a firefighter emergency room nurse. Well, I can't think. It's the Browns to the rescue. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that, but we do enjoy helping people. That's why we wanted to stay and continue doing our regular quiet careers compared to being entrepreneurs. So it's been a really interesting and satisfying ride. That's so refreshing though. And how much money did you get from the Sharks for the purchase of your company? It was $3 million. $3 million. So and he actually gave us exactly what we asked for. Wow, that's wow. fantastic. And how much did you invest in the company to start with? Uh, $40,000 of our own money. So no, probably more than that. Use our savings account. So the thing about that is when you use your savings account versus a loan for an investor is that failure is not an option. Because that's our own money. So that's one of those things where we're both very driven, but I think that gave us the extra spark and extra fire to just you know, hammer down and do the best we could. Yeah, that's kind of what happened with Gearheart Law. <laughs> <laughs> it's like sink or swim. The sink or swim. Exactly. That's right. Absolutely. We, we had a mortgage and a couple of kids, and so I was working real hard when we first got started. That's Sounds about sure. right. So you don't have any other plans to create new inventions, or you're just going <laughs> to kind of keep going? What if you wake up in the middle of the night with a great invention? How could you not do it? I think Zach is always thinking of more inventions, <laughs> and I always have to pull Zach in to say, hey, we have like a three-year-old and a seven-month-old, and I need to finish school. So maybe maybe in a few years we can focus on more inventions, but I think timing would hopefully be better than doing everything all at once. That way we can really kind of focus on one thing more than another. People yeah. call it a bug. You catch like the bug, right? And that's, that's one of those things where I've always, when I was in high school, my buddy and I, we actually had a, a skateboard ramp company. So he lived on a busy road and we built skateboard ramps. We put a sign out selling them and they sold like crazy. It was awesome. So at a very young age, I guess I was a salesman, an entrepreneur, um, but I've always enjoyed it and I love a challenge. And I think that's the thing about it is that starting a business or launching a product, it's a heck of a challenge. Oh, and absolutely. I love a good challenge. I think that's what it comes down to, yeah. me being stubborn and wanting to do that. <laughs> but you guys are like the quintessential American entrepreneurs. You have great jobs that you both love, but you get this idea. You just have to share it with the world because it's such a great idea. And you're able to make money off it. And I don't think most people get $3 million on Shark Tank. but oh, Absolutely not. But how did getting the $3 million change your lives? So it's a pretty long due diligence process, obviously, with having any kind of business transaction like that. So we're still working on fine-tuning some details with that business transaction. But we're still kind of the same people. We still like camping. We're not going to go... You know, You're not live gonna, in a penthouse instead. Not, we not really the enjoy hotel, right? No, we oh. enjoy camping so we can bring our dogs. Our kids love being outside. So we're not we're excited obviously to have that kind of money and to have that kind of cushion for our family and just to live a little bit more comfortably, but it's not something that would change us. Well, do you get a lot of solicitations from people now that they think you have money, they wanna give you ideas on how to spend it or investments <laughs> or both insurance? Call. So before this, our alumni associations, I'm not gonna say what schools we went to. <laughs> yeah. And never reached out to us. Suddenly. <laughs> Suddenly. Oh, so, oh. Suddenly. The they want to honor you at a ceremony, right? Yeah, we've gotten lots of postcards and magazines from the alumni associations. Yeah. So are you both still working full-time right now? Zach is still working full-time. Um, he also has a part-time job as a fire instructor. And I work 
part-time, and then I'm in grad school full-time. So what do the kids do? The kids are busy with us. They just kind of get tossed around between one parent or another or at daycare or with a family member. So we're kind of always doing the kids swap or doing a lot of work at night when they're in bed, and there's a lot of small amount of hours of sleep for us. So I think that's a big question. If you have young children, how do you take on something like this? But I think the kids understand, right? They do. We try to definitely... I think the hardest thing was managing like today we're doing work and tomorrow we need to have a few hours of family time and kind of put our phones away and put any business stuff away because it's hard doing businesses now because everything is available being your phone. So it's not like you go to work from nine to five. Your phone is connected to everything. So it's very difficult to pull yourself away and give 100 percent attention to your kids or to your spouse or to your family event that you're at. I think I was better at that because Zach does a lot of the business stuff with Moki Doorstep. So I know I definitely had to be like, it's time for you to put your phone down. Like you need to take a break. And he felt better for it because he always feels like he's missing out on the kids because I took more of the parenting role because somebody has to do more with the kids. And Zach doesn't want to miss out with being with the kids. That's what the hardest part was. And I think that that's why we he jumped on saying yes to selling the company because that meant I can go back to just being dad and spending time with my kids. That's great. So how do you split up the responsibilities in the business? Do you have different areas of responsibility? One person focuses on one thing, another person focuses on another thing. You just kind of pitch in all together. Zach does everything. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'm more of the supportive role and I kind of help when he needs to and to bounce ideas off of now because a lot of it is patent infringement and a lot of legal stuff and Zach really does all of that part. Um, While I've been busy at school and he does a great job really researching and learning about stuff because it's not something that we know anything about. Um, So Zach really does everything. I'm so glad you brought up (laughs) patent infringement. (laughs) A subject near and dear to our hearts. (laughs) As everybody knows. But we're going to be hearing more about intellectual property and the Browns' experiences with that right after this message. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. And our special guests this evening, Zach and Alyssa Brown, will be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law. W www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guests, Zach and Alyssa Brown. And if you missed the first part of this, then you should go listen to the podcast because they sold their company for $3 million on the spot on Shark Tank. To, to Damon John? He was the buyer? Yes. Uh, yes, sir. One of my favorite sharks, for sure. So He's a great guy Ours to deal too. with. <laughs> <He's> awesome. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> and so how did they do it? Well, you know, <laughs> you should listen and find out. We were talking before the break about intellectual property. You guys have had some real intellectual property challenges, right? So first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your intellectual property portfolio and then also kind of what's been going on in terms of 
uh, knockoffs and ripoffs of your product. Sure. So we have a utility patent uh, for the doorstep. We did file a continuation on it uh, to make it pretty much bomb-proof. But as it stands right now, it's still extremely strong. We just wanted to make it perfect, you know. We also have trademarks on, you know, Moki, Moki Doorstep, and Moki Doorstep has three words. So we pretty much have that, the trademark stuff, pretty much taken care of as well. The infringement and the knockoffs, counterfeit, whatever you want to call it, um, started shortly after our Kickstarter campaign. And initially, they were taking actually our own videos, our pictures. Everything. Everything. Yeah. Um, and making a extremely inferior product, which they're still making the same product, which it stinks. We've had one. We tried it out and it broke. Just put it out there. So, yeah. So, what happened to us in speaking with several other people who've been on not only Shark Tank, but also other entrepreneurs who've been on Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and those other crowdfunding platforms is that people sit in the shadows and they watch those crowdfunding platforms. And if something takes off like ours did, we were 5,000, like 200% funded. It was something crazy like that. So we're, wow. we're funded our first seven hours. It was, it was awesome. That's amazing. And so what happens is when you're doing that well, you pop up on the first page of Kickstarter, but then also you'd pop up on other websites like KickTrack, which pretty much follows the top crowdfunding campaigns in the world. Okay. And so by popping up there, that kind of raises the red flag to these infringers and these companies overseas and say, oh, look at this great idea. And they start taking screen grabs of your stuff and pretty much reverse engineer your product. Most of the time, they have bigger companies behind them. They have the money to, in the capital, to make a mold right away and start getting them out the door ASAP. And that's pretty much what happened. And so, when did you first start noticing this was happening? Shortly after we filmed Shark Tank, actually, like a few weeks after. So it was summer of 2018. Okay, great. And our Kickstarter was in January and February of 2018. So as soon as, really, as soon as you went public and people saw that this was going to be a hot product, they jumped on the bandwagon and they started, yeah. just uh, started copying. So um, where were they selling? What channels were they selling? Everywhere. From like Instagram and Facebook ads with, with our own pictures, which shockingly enough, Facebook and Instagram wouldn't take down our stuff, even though we had registered our photos and our videos. Only way they'd take them down is, is if Alyssa made a complaint because she was in a bathing suit in one of them. That's the only way they'd take them down. And then, like, obviously, Amazon, Alibaba, AliExpress, uh, Wish, all those wholesale websites as well. So pretty much everywhere. So do you have any sense of how much business you might have lost because of these counterfeits? I a try lot. not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's too bad. But that's uh. really what a patent's for. I know your patent hadn't issued yet, but if something's easy to reverse engineer, then the only way to protect it really is a patent. So I'm hoping that you can leverage your patent in the future to take these people off the market. In the U.S., you can do that. Right, and that's pretty much anywhere United States-based. So whether it be a sellers on eBay or even sellers um, on Amazon who's been horrible dealing with us, but U.S.-based sellers on Amazon are quick to remove them. They're all based overseas, so they don't care. You mentioned earlier, too, that you were using a brand protection agency to do a lot of enforcement. So yes. maybe a lot of our listeners don't know what a brand protection agency is and how it works, and maybe you can tell us a little bit about how that worked out for you. Sure. So the company's called Encopro, um, and they deal with a lot of big companies um, like Titleist, FootJoy, Pinnacle Golf. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm the smallest company they have. Um, they're an international company, and they have pretty much like artificial intelligence, so it's machine learning, so they can upload your utility patent to the database for you know, Alibaba, Wish, all those other websites, and they have all your IP stuff in there with their computers, I guess you could call it. Then they have analysts who upload all the infringement and counterfeit photos to their program, and what it does is their program scans the internet every six hours to see locate those pictures. And so initially, the analyst has to say, click yes or no, are those infringing? Send out either cease and desist, or if it's a site like Amazon, 
go through the process they require. So they've actually been very successful. They've taken down, I think, 86% compliance using that, which is, I mean, they've taken down thousands of listings. Um, and actually, our biggest one left uh, on the internet is Amazon. That's where most listings are these days. Other than that, Alibaba, Aliexpress, Wish. Actually, Pinterest is a big one actually now too. A lot of people are using Pinterest as a site for, to sell counterfeit goods, surprisingly enough. And so what do they do? Do they just reach out and send them a letter and tell them to stop? Is that basically what is involved? So most of the time, it's a simple cease and desist letter. Or if it's through an Alibaba, Alibaba has an IP platform, which you have to register your all your IP through. And they have an agent from Alibaba. So you submit the complaint. The agent from Alibaba will then look into it and then... Um, submit a ruling. The sellers can kind of fire back at you, but it's one of those things where you just say, you've already show a precedence of that. They've taken down the same exact one before and they say, yep, no problem. And they remove that listing right away. Do they reference the patent or the trademark in these letters? Yes. So do they try to sell it under your trademark too? Yeah. The biggest one out there, um, it's called SEV Doorstep. Originally they had all of our stuff. Now they have nothing. I mean, just obviously the infringing product now, but most of them Still, if you go on like Amazon, you can't use the Moki name, but in the description, like when you, how you can tag other things, like if you wanted to tag like Toy or Yakima Racks or SUV or Toyota, whatever, that's one of those things where they'll tag Moki Doorstep. So that way, when, if you were to search just Moki Doorstep, well, you get all these relevant listings as well. And unfortunately, Amazon actually recognizes, even though we are the only true Moki Doorstep, if you Google it, they actually might say Amazon's choice because they pay for the ad. Well, I mean, Amazon is one of the biggest online retailers still. And so that's a big nut that you have to crack. But it does sound like you are making some progress. And quite honestly, it is kind of great that you're having these problems in the sense that you've got a product that's so successful that other people want to copy it and intrude on your market. So it is, but it's really bad at the same point. Because it's an inferior product, the way it's made and the conditions that it's made in under those factors with those workers is that they can sell it for much less. Right. So, so at the end of the day, unfortunately, it's very possible that it could, could affect us directly for the fact that not only numbers and sales, but also then the relevant price point that we sell ours at. So where is yours made? Ours is made in China right now. We actually, funny story about that is that we had hired a manufacturing broker for the United States who went out and looked for a manufacturer for a product. And unfortunately, even with the quantities that we were looking at, which were quite a bit, no one actually would even quote us the job, hmm. which is very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, so we're actually working right now to possibly go to Taiwan or somewhere else. Um, we tried to bring it stateside here. We're still trying like heck to do it. Um, so if anyone's hearing this and you're a manufacturer that can do die casting, let us know. And this is made of metal? Yes, right? it's aluminum, it's yeah. Aluminum, aluminum. okay. Aircraft so. grade, yeah. Yeah, so if you can cast aluminum, hey. <laughs> Reach out to Moki Dorset. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney
attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guests this evening, Zach and Alyssa Brown with Mulkey Doorstep. Now it's time for the pitch part of the show. But before we start, the vital info. When you're listening to these pitches, think about which one you like best. I mean, you could say, what product would I buy? How did the person sound on the air? Just something that makes you pick one over the other and go vote for them. Go to Gearheart Law and scroll down to the Passage to Profit page, and you will find the poll where you can vote for your favorite. That's Gearheart Law, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W. Everyone gets one vote. And the voting is open for four days until Thursday at 8 p.m. Don't forget to like us, too, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So get your friends to vote, put it out there on social media, see who can win this contest. And may your passage be short and your profit be huge. Each contestant gets two minutes to pitch, followed by a discussion with our guests and us. The overall best vote getter gets a professionally produced video of their pitch a $500 value. And it goes on our YouTube channel. So I am very pleased to say that we have an alumnus here, Kevin Lane. He was on the show October 21st, 2018, and he actually found the show through Kenya Gibson, our media maven, and his product has just taken off. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. So you're really building castles in the air now, right? I mean, you're doing sand, you're doing snow, and and the whole business has just taken off. Catch us up on what's happened since you were last on the show. Yeah, you know, it's been a real big roller coaster. Incredible experience. Create a Castle is a brand new way to build sand and snow castles with your family, unlike ever before. You can stack them. You don't have to stack them. The tallest that we've gone with our system, it's, it's almost like a Lego system. It's close to 10 feet that I've stacked in the snow. You won't do that in the sand. Sand is far too heavy, but it's an incredible system that is truly open-ended and allows for family fun for hours and hours. We have, since the show, you know, we're selling out all over the place now. We're selling in nearly 100 brick-and-mortar stores. We're in uh, multiple catalogs like Young Explorers, incredible channels, Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime. And since then, because I've met you guys and also met Kenya, we have also been on QVC three times in uh, the Christmas and July segment that they were on. How exciting. So what's it like to be on QVC? QVC was an incredible experience, just unloading sand and snow at an incredible channel like that. In the middle of the night and the morning with my wife, we both stopped and looked at each other and said, oh my gosh, are we really doing this right now? We came up with a, a formula for artificial snow. We had snow next to the sand. It looks really beautiful because it's a nice color contrast. And we have a table that divides the two halves. And it was just from getting mic'd up to going to all the way out there to talking to, you know, millions of viewers about an idea that was born out of your mind. It's just, it's an incredible experience. So you actually went on there yourself. Did Lori go on with you? Lori did not. I was on by myself. Did you ever think you'd be <laughs> on TV nationally? Oh my gosh. <laughs> never, 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 never. But that's the cool thing about inventing a product is, is you don't know what path it's going to take you down. I remember watching the uh, commercial. I thought it was great. You were very natural when you were on the air and oh, talking about you. your product. You seem to be enjoying it. And I think, you know, that's important too. If you're trying to impress an audience, you're passion for your product really came through. Thank you. 
Well, yeah. with Lisa Askley's coaching, <laughs> she would have killed him if he didn't, right? <laughs> she, she, Lisa was literally right next to me, rooting me on, and at the end of it, I knew I did well because she was like coming over to high-five me. Lisa, <laughs> both Lisa and Lori were right next door to me as I, as I was on nationally. So how long did it take to actually do the commercial then? Did you just rip it off right through the first time, or did it oh, no, take it's a all, few takes? It's all live. Oh, it was live. It, there's no messing up. It's live. There's no... they. Because you're wearing a, a earpiece on your ear and they feed you data as you're doing it. It was really fascinating to experience that side of it. So you had told me on the phone this morning that you got an opportunity from a big box store because somebody saw you on QVC. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, I, I won't say the name yet, but we are in talks with a couple of big box stores because of the airing on QVC. It's just it's that exposure point. People recognize you as a brand once that truly does happen. That's fantastic. And how many units did you sell on QVC? Can you tell us? Yeah. So the uh, the first airing, we sold one thousand about 1,000 units in six minutes. And the second and third airing, we went through about another close to 1,000 units. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's so, you know, we're on, on average, we're averaging about 100 kits every minute. So are these just in the U.S. that you're selling them, or does it go to other countries too? So because we're selling on Amazon now, we're seeing castles, sandcastles pop up all over the world. Um, we've seen them from London to Australia, all the way back home to the U.S. That's really cool. And then another thing you were telling us too about some luxury hotels that are actually asking you to create molds of their hotel building. Yes. That can be used out on their beach. Yes. So I again, I won't say the names because we're still dealing with the companies, but these hotels have approached us at, at a couple of the larger trade shows that we've done and one just off of our website just recently and they are very interested in doing molds that replicate their hotel shape their architecture style and possibly even their branding so even though you've got big box stores interested you've been on qvc and you're selling a ton of these things you're still going to trade shows and i think that contributes to your success because you're not just going to ride what you've already done right Trade shows are critical because it really helps you to get out there. You know, specialty shops are really important in the process of the growing phase of your business. You have to get your product in front of people. By getting your product out to so many stores, in a sense, it almost becomes a protection in its own because if a store is already carrying your product, they're not going to carry a competitor. That is very similar in nature. Absolutely. You, you build a relationship with these specialty retailers. So did being on TV on Shark Tank make a huge difference for you? Is that when how you got into the retail stores? So it did make a difference, but we also were already speaking to a company called Rightline Gear that we were lining up a licensing deal. So really talking with Rightline Gear, he has some connections already from his own company that he has a lot of products with retail, but having the Shark Tank background definitely helps because a lot of stores do appreciate that and want products that are from shows like Shark Tank. Um, I think it does show a lot of like authenticity to the product. So Kevin, what are your plans for Create a Castle going forward? So you will be finding me on several beaches all over the East Coast, definitely, and hopefully soon on the West Coast. That's how I got on this show, was being at a desolate beach, and Kenya Gibson happened to walk by and saw the product, saw what it could do, and said, oh my gosh, what is this, and told her the story, and here I am. So going to beaches is really going door to door for me. QVC was an incredible opportunity in between all that, because that was like hitting 500 beaches at the same time. But I'm not going to stop my traditional path that I was doing, because it 
worked so incredibly well for me. You never know who you're going to cross in front of at a beach and especially some of the beaches that I'll be planning on going to. Yeah, what a terrible job. You have to go hang out at the beach all summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. It's... If you're going to invent something. <laughs> the, the next mold is going to come with a straw. <laughs> well, absolutely fantastic having you on. It's been a, a delight and we're so happy for your success and we wish you all the more success going forward and and we'll have to catch up again next year to see where you're at. Where can people find your product again? Createacastle.com is a good starting point, but we're up on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, uh, soon to be walmart.com, and several, several other brick-and-mortar retail stores locally near well, you. Yeah, we're also going to be following Kevin on our social media. So if you want to see how his journey is going, you could check our social media for Passage to Profit. That's right. It's the life of entrepreneur, and Kevin is going to be one of our featured entrepreneurs. So, And just a quick note for your listeners, uh, we are doing a big giveaway. We've collaborated with three other businesses where we're doing a very, very big, cool beach giveaway, including a Creative Castle set with lights and several other products. So definitely go to Instagram and or Facebook, follow us and like those. And that puts you in the running to get the prize? You, you'll get six prizes in total. Just for following or do you, are you- Yeah, to like and tag a friend. And if you have a Creative Castle set already, you can post a photo. And then you get these prizes? You don't even get your name drawn out of a hat? Oh, it'll be drawn out of a hat if, okay. you, if you join in on the fun. Good to know. So you're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt. And our special guests this evening, Zach and Alyssa Brown, will be right back after this message. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley, the inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later, and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not make it you? If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, Lisa Askeles, the inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart, Along with Zach and Alyssa Brown. And our next guest is Dan Nemo from Stream Metrics. Dan, you have two minutes to make your pitch. Go. We are in the middle of the digital advertising world. We are an audience measurement solution for live streaming video and esports. There are millions and millions of people now that are not only playing video games competitively, but it has gotten so big that there are people watching it, watching these competitions, just like you would watch a regular football game or tennis match. As this audience has grown, brands and advertisers want to get in the game and start to advertise and make sure that they get themselves exposure to this audience, which, by the way, is typically a Gen Zer or a millennial that is typically hard to reach and is behind a video screen and you know doing their thing quietly, and it's a very coveted audience. So what we have found is that the metrics around how many people are viewing, the type of person that's viewing, the demographics, where they're located is very inconsistent, confusing, and sometimes lacking. 
So we were born out of this idea to try to help solve this and to help bridge for advertisers and brands, help them bridge into this new media as it's growing. Wow, that's fantastic. So where did this idea come from? I'm very fortunate to be part of this company called Stream Metrics that has, as part of the founding team, several very interesting individuals and participants. So one of them is a group of two people that had done audience measurement for mobile a decade ago when it was first coming out and had created this new methodology and approach to audience measurement. So it was partly that group. And then we also are backed by a group called Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, which is uh, includes in its portfolio the New Jersey Devils and Philadelphia 76ers, as well as a couple of esports teams and organizations. And we really were working with those organizations to understand their challenges in trying to sell advertising and sell sponsorship within these competitions and within what they were doing. I have a media background. I was formerly with a media company called Bands in Town, which is uh, a media that is promoting live music, working with Live Nation, Ticketmaster and the likes, and selling sponsorship for the last five, six years. And so we all came together back in February, March of this year to help try to solve this problem. That's great. You know, that is one of the biggest problems. All the marketing people say you have to figure out who your target customer is and go for them. But as you said, with these young people, how do you know? Because they're not on the traditional channels, right? That's right. And if you're trying to use your product or whatever it is to get advertising, the advertisers want to know, like, who's listening? How many hits am I going to get for my product? That's right. And so one of the biggest problems that we solved or started to see right away and that we're solving is just where are these people located? So if you talk about a traditional sports area or you're talking about going to a stadium, you know they're located in New York, wherever the stadium is. So this is obviously online. So the audience can be anywhere. So the very first thing that you start to see when you will Google questions of how many people watch, for example, the Fortnite uh, World Cup Finals, which was held at the end of July at Arthur Ashe Stadium, how many watched online, is that the numbers you're given are global. So that can include people in France, can include people in China. And so, but brands, when they do their media buys, are buying locally. If you have a campaign that's going to be running for the East Coast or even nationally in the U.S., which is actually an exception, you don't want to be advertising for people that are watching in France. It's a totally different audience. You have different marketing, different language, et cetera. So the first thing we're able to do is figure out who is in the U.S. And then beyond that, we're able to segment down into they call the designated market area, the DMA. So is it around Chicago, around New York, around L.A.? So that's one thing we're able to do. So what is the percentage of people who are watching sporting events through streaming uh, on their computers, cell phones, versus the more traditional TV, sure. live attendance? I think the best way to answer that, we've just come out today, actually, publicly with our uh, report on the Fortnite World Cup final. We analyzed just the finals day, which was uh, Sunday uh, July 28th uh, at Arthur Ashe Stadium. So 16,600 people were in attendance and we were measuring the number of people that were watching online. The metric that's used is actually still very confusing as well because you'll read reports that get up into the millions, which are measuring a peak viewership point in time. But advertisers and sponsors, it's not meaningful to them because if they weren't present at that peak or moment in time, it's not going to be helpful to them. So we have a measure that's used in traditional TV advertising called average audience or average minute audience, which measures the average number of people watching at any given minute. So it was a five-hour broadcast and the number was 90,000. That compares to the number of people that would watch an average San Francisco Giants baseball game during the regular season. you got to be kidding me. 
people are watching other people playing video games like they would watch a football game. Yeah, absolutely. Fortnite has become extremely popular, but there's others. There's 17 other major sports that are, are creating these competitions, esports. I love watching Sean, our son. When he comes home, he plays video games, and I'll we'll, we'll sit there and we'll talk, and but we'll I'll watch him play. He's really good at this stuff, and it is kind of engaging. I'm a huge sports fan all my life. Um, so my one of the gen- gentlemen here asked me if I'm a gamer. Uh, I love the traditional sports games, so Madden, football, uh, FIFA, soccer, and NBA 2K basketball. I don't play as much of the kind of shooter and, and fighting games, although those are actually more popular than the ones I just mentioned. But I remember going over to my son's birthday party, and I play with him all the time, all three of those sports I just mentioned, but they were having a, a Madden football championship, and he made it to the finals. So when I got to the birthday party to pick him up, I couldn't leave because he was watching, the, he was playing in the finals, and they won like nine to seven. It was incredible. I was I was like cheering, you know, just like I would have watching uh, him play actual football. And these video gamers, they have professionals too. They make a lot of money, right? So the numbers are getting really, really big. So when I talk about an esports team or organization, for example, Dignitas, which is part of that Harris Blitzer group that we work with very closely, um, they are, yes, they are paying athletes to be playing these games and they're part of the team, uh, which is supported by sponsorship and and advertising, and that's professionally uh, what they do. Uh, you may have read- How much know, money can one of these Well, make? let me just tell you. So the Fortnite uh, World Cup final had a total prize pool. This was a tournament that I believe lasted 10 weeks and had about 40,000 participants. Ended up in the finals being 100 people that played on the that Sunday that I was talking about in j- late July. The total prize pool was $30 million. And For playing video games. $30 million. Wow. Uh, and the winner of the solo finals won $3 million. A 16-year-old from somewhere in Pennsylvania. So, <laughs> listeners, get your kids to learn how to play video games if you, just, if you, if, as if they need any. That's what we get to do, convincing. I guess, apparently, training our kids <laughs> yeah. from now on. So We're going to get rid of the snowboard and the kayak and we're going to start video games. <laughs> so I just want to ask, like, what do people do? Look for who has the fastest fingers? Like, <laughs> it's like, I mean, seriously. Well, You'll be surprised. There, there is a lot of that. There's um, the audio quality. There's the video quality. There's companies in the background that are helping provide like better internet connectivity because when you're playing an online game with someone else, you know the the reaction has to be perfect. Uh, there's there's a bunch of peripherals. You know your computer, your headset, even down to like the chair you're sitting in for comfort. But yeah, people they just really get into it, and so when they see someone who's exceptional at it, it's it's fun to watch. So do they get backed by companies like, uh, remember Talladega Nights, Ricky Bobby? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Sponsors, do, yeah. Spo- do, they, yeah. do they have like a sponsored jacket on or something? That's correct. That's exactly right. And, that, and that's really what we're, what we're all about. So the answer is yes. There are what we call endemic brands. Endemic meaning that they're natural to the habitat or the environment. So computer companies, headset companies, gamer chair companies, those kinds are, have been present for a long time. What we've been working on is trying to get what we call the non-endemic brands, so just Heineken's, the American Expresses, the Coca-Colas, a lot of whom have started to participate in this as they've seen the audience growing, but they're doing it on an experimental basis without the measurement that we have been, that we are now providing. So we believe that by providing what we're providing, it's going to provide a safer and more measured, intelligent way for those companies uh, that you're mentioning to sponsor and to become known in, you know, in front of this audience. We need your website real quick, and I want you to explain the extension. So we are at www.streammetrics, that's two M, so streammetrics.gg, and that in the gamer world stands for good game.
Well, it's been absolutely fascinating having you on the show, Dan, and uh, we love your company and we love just learning that professional gaming is a thing. Thank you very much for having me and my company. Absolutely. You're listening to Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gerhart. We'll be right back after this message. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearHeartLaw.com. At GearHeart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at GearHeart Law. www.GearHeartLaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protecting and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And our special guests, Zach and Alyssa Brown. And we have had some amazing conversations here, stuff we didn't even think about. And you can hear it on the podcast tomorrow if you miss the first part of the show. So make sure that you look for the podcast. But now we are on to our final pitch. So we have Zach Levin here, but it's actually going to be Nick Scanavino who is going to be giving us the pitch. Uh, but they're partners. They work together. So, Nick, you have two minutes. Great. Thank you. So startup fundraising is one of the biggest challenges faced by early stage entrepreneurs when starting and scaling their businesses. Prevailing methods for pitching venture investors are inefficient and antiquated. Pitch decks in particular just don't do a great job of showcasing the team, which is really the most important element of a pitch. And what better way to showcase a team at scale than through video? So enter Pitch Tape, a video pitch platform that connects startups and investors. So how does it work? Through our platform, startup founders create what we call a pitch tape, a dynamic online pitch consisting of short form videos telling investors who they are, what they're doing, why they're doing it, along with short form answers to standard pitch deck topics. Then each pitch tape is presented to our network of investors in a private online portal curated for them based on their investment criteria. If investors, if they like a pitch, they can simply click a button and we'll notify the founders and give both sides a chance to interact, advance the fundraising process. So my founder, Zach, and I have extensive experience working with startups and investors on fundraising rounds through our background as startup lawyers. We started the company after years of seeing the pain on both sides of the table through the early days of the fundraising process. We're supported by a great team, CTO, director of product, few backend and front-end developers, and we're all really passionate about building a product that transitions static pitch materials to a more dynamic video-based experience and really become the next generation of the startup pitch. So if you're a startup founder out there looking to create a compelling pitch, stand out from the crowd, get connected to the right investors, or you're a venture investor looking to more efficiently source, screen, connect with the right startups, then we're here to help at PitchTape. Check us out at PitchTape.com. That was a great pitch. Thank you. <laughs> Wow. If your pitchers pitch as well as you just pitched, they're going to get a lot of investment, let me tell you. Thank that you. was Thank awesome. You. Tell us a little bit, how long have you been working now on the company? 
and kind of where do you see the future going for yourselves? Yeah, yeah. So we actually closed the funding round ourselves um, in November. We then did built, you use pitch tape? <laughs> we did use video <laughs> as a big part of um, pitching the investor, backed by a great investor. It's a group called Vidi. They actually invest in video-based products, and so we sort of built the team. We got the product out quickly in May, so we've been public for a few months now, and um, we're starting to see a lot of traction, a lot of interaction actions between startups and investors. And really at its core, it's about giving founders an easier way to create a video pitch. And we sort of have a thesis around video is eating the world. And we're edging towards 2020. It's time to sort of transition these static pitch materials to a more dynamic video-based experience. Um, And so we're really honing in on that. And we sort of view the pitch as a two-sided process, right? Founders are creating the pitch, investors are consuming the pitch, and then they're both interacting. And so we're really honing in on covering all three of those, but really starting at the heart of bringing video into this process of pitching. So how many people do you have subscribing to your service right now? Yeah, so we have over 100 subscribers right now, pretty even mix actually between startups and investors. And yeah, looking to continue to accelerate growth as we build a business. So what do you think makes for a good pitch? And especially a good video pitch. Yeah, yeah. So some of the things that we focus on um, right out of the gate, and so we we tell... startups to create three videos, talk about what you're doing, who you are, why you're doing it. So we feel like those are some of the intangibles, right? So a lot of the other things that you might see in a deck focus on business metrics and so forth. But what we say to founders and what we've seen through our experience is that it's really the team, right? That's number one. And so focusing on that, showing investors, what, why are you passionate about what you're doing? You know, why are you devoting your life to going after this business and really have that shine through? Of course, things like product and the market are very important. And it goes to, you know, what investors are you pitching? So having a clear understanding of are you pitching angel investors? Are you pitching venture capital investors? So having an understanding around that. But generally, it boils down to team, product and market and leading with team. So how do you pick the people that get to pitch? Anyone can come on and pitch. So we sort of are meant for venture backable type of businesses that are looking to raise money from professional investors, right? It's not a crowdfunding site. It's really focused on that venture backable type of business. And so if you're looking for more of a lifestyle type thing that you're going to run yourself for a while, maybe not perfect. But if you're looking to sort of create the the usual venture pitch, then we're the right place. Does it happen that certain pitches attract more attention than other types of pitches? Is there like certain pitches that have sort of clusters of interest from the investors? I wouldn't say there is any one more than the other. You know, I think it's sort of we have a broad mix of startups on the platform at this point. They're all tech companies. It's really focused around tech and companies that are differentiated by technology. So, yeah, I wouldn't say one one more than the other. So what feedback are you getting from the investors? Because it's hard to get in front of an investor and get them to really listen to your pitch because they are bombarded constantly. Yeah. So one of the things in the early days that we were hearing is investors are getting hundreds of decks in their inbox on a regular basis. And oftentimes it's just a struggle to get through them, but they feel the pressure to get through them because they don't want a situation where a startup landed in their inbox that they didn't look at that then became a billion dollar business. But they actually really need to figure out how to narrow it down. We, we're all pressed for time, right? And so that's sort of why we've built in sort of this matching aspect of our business. So as an investor, if you focus on the healthcare industry, you tell us that and we'll show you pitches that are in the healthcare industry. So we just had a question from one of our audience members here and they wanted to know how long should the pitches be for the video? So right now we say three videos up to 60 seconds each. 
right? So general um, data around even pitch deck consumption, it's usually about three to four minutes that investors are looking at a pitch. And so we try to keep within those bounds. You want to convey as much information as you can, but you've got to keep it succinct. So try to keep it to videos under a minute each. And do you have like a template or a format that you prefer? No template or format. We give sort of prompts and guidance on each video to say, hey, here are some things you should think about as you're answering the question, what are you doing? Or here are some things you should think about when you're talking about your team or why you're doing this. So we give prompts to sort of walk startups through the process and hone in on things that we've seen through our experience that investors are looking for. As you mentioned before, time is very valuable for investors, all of us actually. Um, is there a vetting process you guys go through with these companies to make sure all right, it's a legit thing and therefore you're not wasting anybody's time? Do you guys offer that? We don't right now, right? Like at its heart, we're a technology company. We're giving founders a way to create a video pitch. Mm -hmm. And so we're innovating on the way that you can more easily create a video, share a video, and the way investors consume it. So, you know, the heart is let's create a great innovative product that transitions these static paper decks to a more okay. video-based experience. But certainly as the marketplace builds out, that's where opportunities will lie and really honing in on who are the right startups for the right investors and nailing that founder investor fit, which is actually a key part of fundraising. So after an investor has signed on to your program and watched these videos, do they ever go back to the old way? <laughs> I, I can't imagine that they would. Yeah, well, you know, I'll, I'll share an interesting story there. So our director of product, Olga, she she mentioned recently, so we have our daily stand up every day, the entire technology team, we all get on a video chat and we talk about about what we did in the last 24 hours, what we're going to do in the next 24 hours. And it's video based. And when she first started out doing being on video every single day was very odd. And it was easier to just dial into a conference line, which was what we were used to in a business setting. And just so happened that she wasn't able to get on video recently. And so she dialed in from her phone and said, wow, this was like such a worse experience of interacting with everybody without being able to see you. Like that video really resonated. And so whereas before I felt like the video part made me really uncomfortable. Now I can't imagine it any other way. And so I think we're probably going to get there on, on video pitches as well. You know, the paper is just not going to do it in the future. So what are your biggest hurdles right now? I guess I'd say we're focused on three things. Enhancing product development, really honing in on how we innovate the product. By the product, do you mean the software? Yep, the software. Next, we are looking to strike partnerships with um, key customer acquisition distribution channels. So Programs like accelerators, incubators, angel groups and such, they're seeing hundreds or thousands of applications. And we think sort of having a more video-based deck will allow them to more quickly um, screen the applicants that they're getting in. And finally, yeah, accelerating user growth. So continuing to build out the platform, get users interacting, and build the company. Nick Scanavino with PitchTape.com and his partner, Zach Levin, is here. A whole new way of doing things. That's what we love on this show. So thank you very much. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WR710 with Richard Elizabeth Gearhart and our special guests, Zach and Alyssa Brown. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearhart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearhart Law has years of experience 
Alliance, protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit GearHeartLaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. These were amazing. And if you're unfortunately just tuning in, the podcast will be out tomorrow. And this is crazy stuff. It's stuff nobody's been doing before. It's really interesting. And remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearHeartLaw.com, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. On the Passage to Profit page, yes. So to summarize, our first pitch, well, kind of a reunion because he's been here before, was Kevin Lane with Create a Castle, createacastle.com. And it's a way to build sandcastles and snowcastles. And our second pitch was Dan Nemo with Stream Metrics. So stream, one word, metrics, the other word, dot GG. And our third pitch was Nick Scanavino with PitchTape.com. Now Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once, and you have until next Thursday at 8 p.m. to vote. The best overall vote-getter for the show will receive a professionally produced video of their pitch, a $500 value. And before we sign off, we had the Browns are from Connecticut. Kevin came from Connecticut. Thank you guys all for trooping into the studio today, hanging out, and participating in the show. We love having you guys here. Absolutely. And I'd like to thank our guests again, Zach and Alyssa Brown. And before we go, do you have any final thoughts for our audience? So it's interesting listening to the show and learning. The only way to learn about your business is to research and listen to other people's failures and ideas, basically, to better yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I'm excited to build a snow castle. I'm not going to lie. I know my daughter would have loved one. So <laughs> to, uh, yeah, well, and also, I mean, the gaming world, I mean, I've seen it on ESPN. And it's crazy. You know, now I think drones are being part of ESPN. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago that computer games or drones would be on a sports channel, right? So... And I think they're right on the money as far as with that company, what they're doing. I think they're on the forefront of that as well. And then also with Pitch Tape, they uh, great guys, but also a great idea um, and concept behind. That's one of those things where people are going to want personal. And I think by video chatting, people can actually see, are you personable? Are you likable? Because that's one of those things they say all the time on Shark Tank is that, you know, we invest a lot of the time because they are likable. Obviously, you need a good product and all that. But behind the product is the people who are running the company and are they someone that they can work with on a daily or weekly basis? And if they're not, well, then you may not invest. And I think a video kind of portrays that very well. And your website is Moki, M-O-K-I, doorstep.com. And this has been great, you guys. Thank you so much. And we also have other people to thank. Our media maven, Kenya Gibson. Our scrumptious producer, Noah Fleischman. Our incredible engineer, Rob Barretts. And the whole iHeart team. And listeners, don't forget to join us next week for another excellent speaker and another round of pitches. And you can start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Passage to Profit Radio on WOR 710, the voice of New York. <laughs>